Welcome to Disrespectfully Agree with Oatman and LJ. I am LJ. Across from me is Mr. Oatman. I am Oatman and off the great. We are back and coming at you with an episode about bad times at the El Royale. This one is written and directed by Drew Goddard. He wrote and directed Cabin in the Woods. Actually, he co-wrote that with Joss Whedon. Have you seen have you seen that film open? I have. And at long last. People have been telling me about it for years and I was like, God, oh, that looks like dog. But it, it turned out good. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I liked it. It was more intelligent than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's a it's a, a weird kind of deconstruction of the horror film. Absolutely. Absolutely. With a lot of clever twists. Uh not all of them are clever, but a lot of them are. <laughs> and he also worked on uh, Buffy and Angel back in the day, worked on Lost daredevil and it's a pretty damn good resume and he's uh more recently been working on uh, as an executive producer i believe on the good place which you and i've been watching this film stars a lot of people but we got jeff bridges in here cynthia erivo if i'm saying her name right dakota johnson john ham chris hemsworth a lot of folks in there lewis pullman who i guess is bill pullman's son and dakota is uh don johnson's daughter that's right Nick Offerman has a small part in this. I saw that. Where the hell was Nick Offerman? He was the guy at the beginning. Guy in the beginning. Oh, that we never see his face. Basically, yeah. I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> we never I, really do see his. Because at the end, it said Nick Offerman. I was like, where the hell was Nick Offerman? We never. And there's a flashback where we see with him wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, see, I I, I missed that. I was wondering where the hell he was in the movie. I. It took me a minute. I was like, is that Nick Offerman? <laughs> And then I see him later, I'm like, is that Nick Offerman? Well, why have Nick Offerman in a movie if you're going to have to say, is that Nick Offerman? I don't know. <laughs> that I don't doesn't know. make sense. There has to be a scene that got cut out of this movie. Maybe. It, it has to be. Maybe. We'll start off as spoiler-free as we can. We'll give you our general reactions, then we'll slip into spoilers to tell you when that happens. Quick rundown from the IMDb. This takes place in 1968. Several strangers, most with a secret to bury, meet by chance at Lake Tahoe's El Royale, a rundown hotel with a dark past. Over the course of one night, everyone will show their true colors before everything goes to hell. Yes. Well, when I first saw the set design, my first thought is that, what is the world of this movie? The first thing I thought is, this is not really 1960s-based film. First thing I thought was, well, maybe we're like in hell. Looks older than that, or... No, no, I thought maybe we were like in some netherworld. Just some, is somewhat fantastical. Yeah, sometimes, some, somehow fantastical. I didn't feel like it was a realistic setting. Every, everything seemed sort of hyper realistic. Heightened, yeah. And heightened. So I said, oh, okay, maybe, where are we really? Is this purgatory? So for a while I was on that track. Mm-hmm. And then once I settled in and said, no, I think we might actually be in, in, in 1960, I was like, okay. So the, the first thing that jumps out at you is that this is a, a derivative, clearly, unmistakably, unapologetically of Quentin Tarantino. It's a, it's a, it's very much a Tarantino vibe. It's a style, the dialogue, uh, all of that is kind of the structure of the piece is is very, um, what do you call it, uh, chapter like in their vignettes Abs- and things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it rips off Tarantino so blatantly. It's not even worth the comment. I, I want somebody to come in here and say this isn't a Tarantino certainly inspired. Yeah inspired film but I, but I don't say that as a pejorative because the one thing that I liked about this film 
Uh, and I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but the one thing I liked about this film is I've seen so many Tarantino ripoffs. That are just bad. That are just bad. Yeah. And the one thing that this one got and understood is just because you're doing quirky characters does not mean that they can't have a core, that they can't mm-hmm. have a center. Like, these were real characters. They're not just caricatures. Yeah, they're not caricatures. They were facing real obstacles. They had real edges to them. And unlike many other Tarantino ripoffs, each character had real stakes. Mm-hmm. The Jeff They're not Rich- just monsters. Like, yeah. a lot of times yeah. people look at Tarantino and be like, okay, well, everybody's got to be an asshole Yep. Or just a, a a criminal or just a murderer, sociopath, or just crazy in general. And that's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not the same thing as all. It's very these are very complicated characters having very complicated interactions. To me it's all you know, you're not a sports guy, but it's almost like with Michael Jordan. What is a sports? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is a sports? People always talked about Michael Jordan, about how he was this great scorer. But what people always missed about him was how good he was at defense. That was almost as integral to his success as the scoring. And it's the same thing with Tarantino. Don't forget Space Jam. And Space Jam. <laughs> Everybody always talks about Tarantino's quirky dialogue and all of these weird, monstrous characters and this and that. But people don't talk about how that guy can craft a character that you care about mm-hmm. better than almost any writer I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, he makes you invest into some of the most investable, and I just made that up, characters that exist. And, and I mean, just look at, you know, this is well-trod territory, but and take a slight tangent here, but, you know, there's a scene in Pulp Fiction with Christopher Walken just giving a monologue oh for like God. 10 minutes. And it's amazing. And it's an amazing monologue. Amazing. It's one of the best parts of the film. And it's there because we don't care at all about Bruce Willis's character, if not for that scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things a lot of his imitators forget. Absolutely. They miss that part. And, and, and quite frankly, a lot of his imitators just aren't as talented. Like the guy who wrote this film, Goddard Weather. Drew Goddard. Yeah. This guy knows how to write dialogue. Yep. I mean, he has an ear for it. And not only that, he knows how to create moments. That scene where Jeff Bridges is sitting at the table and he's talking. What to a great scene. He's talking to the young lady and talking about what he's going through and what the journey he is on. That is such an amazing scene. And not only that, structurally, it sets up another great scene at the end of the, of the piece when we're getting resolution, mm-hmm. when we come sort of to the denouement of the, of the piece. It sets it up at the end too. I'm like, that's just a good writer. Like somebody who doesn't know what they're doing would look at that and say like, what's this? Get this out of here. It's just two people talking to each <laughs> exactly. other about their feelings or their <laughs> exactly. history or something cut that out. It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Yeah, it's such an amazingly wonderfully structured scene. And not only that, the way in which it jumps around, usually those type of films, they'll lose me or I'll I'll kind of have trouble grasping where I'm at. He has a way of differentiating all of these different time periods within the piece where he's jumping around, but he makes all of them cohesive. He does that thing where he'll show one scene from a bunch of different angles Mm -hmm. and but he makes that work. It's such a seamless he does, piece of especially of early on the the transitions. You can just like next chapter, chapter two, or whatever, and put whatever's name up there, so we get their perspective. It's often, especially early on, it's it's not going back in time. The time continues to go, yeah, at the same length. We we don't retread old stuff at the beginning. That happens a little bit later, but it's just okay. Now we get their perspective at the same time. Just keep on moving 
forward in time. And I thought that worked. And then we get around to that stuff later. And the Jeff Bridges character, I mean, if this doesn't get nominated for something. He's great. He is amazing. Amazing. There's a scene after there's been this, you know, pretty, pretty rough, violent scene. And he gets into a car to have a conversation yeah. after this violent interaction. That is he, such he, a delicately performed and acted scene. You know, there's a point in which she's essentially saying to him, why should I trust you? But as the actor, he makes you trust him yeah. with that interaction. I mean, that that's just sort of the finest acting I've seen probably this year on screen. I and mean, I want to I want to talk more about that scene in a little bit when we get into spoilers. Indeed. But uh, real briefly, I'll say I'll agree with all of that. I think the film is pretty damn good. And uh, the the other touchstone I'll go to Tarantino is the obvious kind of touchstone here. And I kind of got especially early on. A lot of Hitchcock vibes oh, from this that uh, that I haven't heard people talk about much. Very true. Feels Very a true. lot like Rear Window. It's a lot. Rear, rear. Window yeah. is a, is a clear one. Absolutely. Um, some of the shots of. Or the, or the shot that he does. The very he, first shot. We walks up that line that, that separates one, yes. the two. Because uh, the, the shots the, are very clean, very deliberate, very very well plotted out and composed. Absolutely. And that's a lot of Hitchcock, I think, influence there. Uh, especially the first. I love this movie from the first scene. Because all it is is a, a steady shot. It's just, That camera does not move. It's Nick Offerman, and it's just him in a – well, it, it – I had a brief thing. It was like, that room's bigger than that hotel room. It's, that's, it's a, it is an amazing shot. It's a shot, comically though. large uh, yeah, hotel room. A, but it's a great It's just that shot, and it's him in that room, and that's all we get. The camera doesn't move. Yep. And it's just – and it's so confident. There's a confidence to doing that that I thought was just – it's like a painting almost. Well, the, the, it's like a visual painting. The thought that I had when I saw how this film was shot, it had the feel of – how do I put this – it's not a digital age way of shooting. This is the anti-Michael Bay. Yeah, it had a feel of there were operators on machines rotating some of these physical shots. I don't know that that's what it actually was, but it had the feel of that manual, handmade kind of filmmaking that Hitchcock did. Where sure, it was, yeah. it, was, it was very handcrafted. Had that feel to it. I, I love the shots as well. And they were eye-popping some of yes. them. Yes. Eye-popping. The set design is great. Set design is amazing. It is amazing. I, and I don't know who the, also I wanted to point out, I don't know who the um, bellhop is. I don't know who that actor is. That's Bill Pullman's son. Oh, he's phenomenal. Uh, he's great. He's phenomenal. And it was phenomenal Lewis about Pullman. Is that he, he has a role that in a lesser movie would be kind of throwaway, but yes. that guy has an arc in this film. Yeah. That is just phenomenal. Could have been easily a disposable performance, but he was outstanding. Yeah, I was worried about that about a third of the way in. I'm like, I don't are we okay, are we throwing him away as a character? But no. Yeah, but um, he, he has a sort of a conclusion in this thing. Yes. That's just a phenomenal scene. So let's jump into spoilers then. Spoilers coming in, everybody. Spoilers. Warning. Okay, it's really set in hell. No, it isn't. No, it's not. I just made that up. You were talking about Jeff Bridges in the car. And it's such an amazing transition because, as you were saying, because just before then, he's trying to, as far as we know, poison this innocent woman or drug her in some kind of way. When we don't know what his intentions are. We don't know if he's a good guy, bad guy. We don't know what's up with him. We know something's up. Yeah, something's definitely up. And he's dangerous. And, yeah, the next scene we get with him and her in that car, just he turns that character 180. Exactly. With, not she, only with her, but with us. Exactly. She's she's 
pointing a gun at him, but I hate to say this because it sounds kind of nonsensy, but it's true. It's almost as if the entire audience is holding a gun on him. Mm-hmm. He's not just trying to convince that character in that car. He's trying to convince the whole audience. It's yeah. like, we are suspicious of him. We're like, who are you? What were you trying to do? And he has a way of talking that gun down, not only for the character, but for the audience at the same time. I thought that was masterful, masterful stuff. And at a certain point, he just kind of says, you know, this is what it is. You know, either you believe it or you don't. And I think we believe him. He wins us over in that moment. Very fine piece of acting by, by a fine, fine older actor. Let's talk about Act 3. Now, here's where the film gets a little... I have some, I'm not sure about it. I feel like Act 3 drags a little bit. Once Chris Hemsworth shows up, and we anticipate his arrival, we're like, oh, now things are going to get even worse. And when he does, he he takes over not only you know the events of the film, but he just takes over kind of the film. And it feels a little... I mean, it's obviously supposed to derail everything. It's supposed to make everything worse and heighten the tension and all of that. But it feels almost like a different movie at that point. And I don't, I'm not saying it's bad, but I, as it continued to go on, and it did feel long. I'm not sure how long Act 3 is, but as it went on, I kind of had this thought. It's like, you know, I kind of, because the first two acts are so much about the characters we have. And things getting worse amongst those characters. They're making life worse for each other, and the stakes get heightened there. And I kind of feel like I wish that had continued rather than okay, new character. Now it gets even. Now you all are even even worse. Well, I, I will say this: the only thing that I had trouble about, and it's not even trouble, but the only thing about Act Three is there. There's a scene in Act Three, and there's a resolution of a character that isn't even close to a surprise. Like I knew exactly how it was going to play out. Which when, one? The the one in which the sister. Of the the girl oh, who's been indoctrinated yeah. in the cult, right. she's standing over her sister and mourning her. And then the bellhop sees her. I knew exactly how that oh, had course, to play yeah. out. It was, and it wasn't over. Sister. She was mourning uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, you're right. Th- thank you. She, she had no Chris, feelings about her. She sister. had no feeling about her sisters or anything or anybody else. So I'm looking at that and I'm like, okay, this is dumb. This is dumb, and I know what's going to happen. Yeah. He's going to put that gun down. Yeah. He's going to go over to her, and she's going to stab him. I mean, we knew how, and I was like, oh, I kind of wish that would have been resolved because everything else is such a surprise. Like when he goes to drug her, that's a shock. Yeah. When she hits him with that bottle, it yes, comes it out of nowhere. Quick one two punch. When the FBI agent gets gunned down, that's a little yep. bit of a surprise. When the other guy gets shot in the when the bell hop gets There's shot. There's a guy behind the mirror. Gets yeah, the that catches me off guard. I mean, so often, and and this is very rare in today's film. I'm lagging behind the film, yeah. trying to catch up. But I felt like in the third half, we kind of caught up. Yeah, we know what's going to happen, and we kind of know what's coming to happen. And that was the only point of the film where we kind of got ahead of the film. Yeah, in in some ways, and I kind of knew. Okay, I kind of know where this is. And maybe that's unsustainable. Like you just, you can't continue that kind of mystery and tension for that long. And, and the only thing I will say is one thing that I am appreciative that they did do, even though in that third act we know where it's going. They did give us a couple of really nice little nuggets in there. I loved the African American female's interaction with Chris Hemsworth. It was oh, a little that f- scene is great. It's her, great. Her dialogue with him. Oh, that's such a wonderful. Where she's like, I know who you are. She I sees who- right through him. <laughs> exactly. And he is revealed. Oh, I love that scene. It and, was so great. And I love the scene, and it's a little one where 
he where the preacher is saying, I don't know. I don't know who I am. And then she says, no, he, he really doesn't know who he is. Yeah. Like that entire little segment where they're tied up, I loved a lot of that dialogue. Even though I think you're right, it slows up to a point where we catch it. We catch the yeah. narrative and actually get ahead of it. Um, and maybe it's impossible to sustain that through an entire film or more difficult. But it it wasn't egregious enough that it it's, yeah I, that it ruined it for me but but i i get i get your your comment i, I get that it's yeah it's just a small it's not a huge deal but it's just like it, this is in the third act things should be amping up yeah and they were amping down like when he leans over and pretends to be a priest like i know that that's going to happen yeah there's nothing surprising that when she looks at that help him and all that i know that that scene is going to occur. And it was well done. It was well done. You know, it's like a really nice chocolate ice cream cone. It's tasty, and it was, yeah, but it was, not a surprise. It was touching. It wasn't surprising. Yeah, we knew it was going to happen, especially if you've seen season five of Angel, there you uh, go. on which Drew Goddard worked. It was exactly, it was a less poignant yeah. and meaningful version. Yeah, could, uh, could you, what is, what could is you lie, could you, you lie to me Do now? you want me to lie to you now? Yeah, and she becomes friend. And she's, and he says yes. And it's that moment, I mean. And it was so good in Angel, and it was so earned. And here, it was good. It was good. But it's not, especially, I mean, it's hard to, you can't compare the two, because we've been, we spent like however many years with those characters. and Exactly. And then in season five, however many episodes. Exactly. So you can't do the same thing. And it was well done, but you're right. It was it was the touching moment you expected, and it was well executed, and it was touching. Even the very last but scene, I knew that was going to happen. Like I, I, which one was the last one? The last scene where she's on stage. Oh, right. And he walks, and he's in, in the uh, he's sitting at the table, and it feels it's a great scene. It's I, nice. I even liked how it was shot. It's nice, but I kind of had a feeling that that might play out in that way. Yeah, it, yeah, it's nice. It's one of those, you know, it, on um, Shawshank Redemption. Love that movie. I do. And the original ending was Red on the bus with his monologue voiceover saying, I hope I'll get across the border. I hope to see my friend. I hope. And, and then it's blackout. Said, and, and Hollywood said, no. no. We, we, need to, we need him. We need to, him running across the beach at each other. Yeah. We need that moment. And, you know, look, and when I first saw it, I was, you know, a teenager or whatever. And I loved that. I loved seeing them have that moment. But being on the bus is a much stronger moment. It's a much stronger ending. Much stronger ending. And I feel like that we it would have been nice. I mean, I mean, maybe not nice. It's nice to see them have that moment at the end of this movie. But also, if they if we just get them leaving, exactly, that's, that's your ending. That's your ending. But uh, it's like okay, I, I'll go with it. It's almost it almost as if the film had earned enough credits for me, right? That I was like, okay, I, I'll go with you. Fine, well, let's go to the club and see her sing. Yeah, it's a little bit too nice. Yeah, it's a little clean. I'm like, okay, I, I I can do it. Really, the 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 ending is them walking out in the rain. Yeah. After all of the carnage that has happened as it burns to the ground. Yes. That's the That's ending. That's the ending. But I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, I mean, okay. I get but, it. But I, I do want to emphasize, you know, we, we've, we've been putting up some nits here to pick, but. It is. The movie is great. It really is good. Fantastic effort. I mean, Cabin in the Woods was good. Well, but this is a, a well, step as a, above. As a comparison, and we, we have talked about Tarantino as a touchstone, you know, at the end of Hateful Eight, 
That's the way that that ends. Yeah, you know what I mean. They're laying there in the cab with the with the letter. Anyway, I mean, this movie has more heart than a lot of Tarantino stuff does. Um, mm. I'm not. I'm not saying he doesn't have heart in it. I mean, all the stuff you said about Tarantino is true. But let me put it another way: sentiment, sentimentality. I mean, the end of Hateful Eight is great, but the he rarely has characters who. Not this isn't true. I'm going to take know, it back. Yeah, I don't know. I agree it, with that. I, don't it, know what to say. I think he's. I think he's. And I've always said this and been laughed out of room. I think he's very sentimental, and and a lot of his characters. I think he's very sentimental. Yeah, he's just sentimental. Maybe it's just less transparently so. Less tra- transparently so. You mentioned that that scene with Bush. That's a stream. That's an extremely sentimental in some ways scene. Uh, it's rough but fair. And that's what I've always liked about. I guess the, I guess my point is the the edges are le, are less sharp here. True, that I, I, I agree compared with that. to a Tarantino, it's a softer. Yeah, it's less it's less edge, edge to, to this it. one. Definitely, maybe that's what I mean. Definitely, but um, and that's probably where that ending comes from. It's it's like let's feel a little good about this. Yeah, at the end, but still, overall, a, a fine effort. And ironically, Cabin in the Woods is a much darker ending. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> now that I think about it, yeah. now there's a hard ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go see uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. It's it's worth your time. Yeah, and I, and I will say this is one of those kind of films where when this pops up again, I'm going to watch this again. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to see this in the theater one more time at least. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to check this out again. Very good film. And I love the uh, young lady the, uh, from Broadway. She's great. I mean, her uh, voice is amazing. Oh, it's amazing throughout. I think she played, I think that's the young lady that played on um, in Color Purple as Seely. On Broadway? Yeah, I think she won an award for it. Or Probably, something, if memory serves, because I know she has a movie coming up. Uh, I think she's in Widows too. Okay, with um. Oh yeah. Um. Uh, b- b- who's the Black Meryl Streep? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. Um, Violet I have Davis. her face. There you go. Yeah, I think she's in that. And uh, Liam Neeson is the uh, Sean Bean of that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. di- it, it looks like he dies pretty yeah, early on. Pretty in that early one. on. <laughs> <laughs> Check us out on our webpage, disagreepodcast.com. Check us out on Facebook, Disrespectfully Agree. We are on the Apple iTunes Music Store. We are in the uh, podcast app. We are on Google Play Music. Uh, Drop us a review. Tell a friend, please. Help us grow the show. And with that, we look forward to talking at you next week. Bye. Peace and chicken grease.